0: Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep. Get up to $200 off a mattress and two free pillows at helixsleep.com slash Apple Insider. And Ladder Life Insurance. Go to ladderlife.com slash Apple Insider to learn more. And Sandisk. Get 15% off your first order of featured Sandisk products at sandisk.com slash Apple Insider. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and I have a very special guest joining me to kind of do this year in review and a look ahead episode. Special guest Jason Aiton. Thanks for joining me, Jason. Thank you for having me back. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Been enjoying your 29 Steps podcast, which listeners, if you haven't heard Jason's other podcast, it's awesome. It's 29 Steps. I'll link it to it in show notes, tips for working at home, productivity, which many of you have started this year. And how long have you been working from home? Because it's something you've done for a long time. Yeah,
1: years. Uh, It's hard to remember the last time I had to go to an office on a regular basis, uh, other than the one in my basement, which is why we call it 29 steps. That's my morning <laughs> commute. So
0: <laughs> Right, exactly. Well, uh, before we jump into anything, I just want to read a tweet uh, you sent me verbatim. Uh, I bookmarked it because it's very special to me. It's, it's near and dear to my heart. Because the last time you were on the show, we talked about Facebook and Apple. And, uh, you know, I think we agreed more than we disagree. Uh, but in this tweet, you sent it on uh, December 4th, 2020. It says, Stephen Robles, you win. And that's all. That's all I'm going to read. So thank you, Jason. <laughs> that, I
1: Appreciate it. You you won. That's that's fine. <laughs> well, we can leave it at that. I mean, there there was a there was an actual point there, but that's probably yes you, yes. you probably stopped reading after that. I understand.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. It was a great article. I'll link that too. But with all the privacy this past year, yes tons to talk about but in this episode i thought it would be fun to kind of look at 2020 from what was announced and launched and all that and then to kind of look ahead and i have a list in our shared note which so jason tell me what you and jess use when you're collaborating but trying to figure out an app or service to do shared notes with someone on on a podcast i've tried google docs i've tried apple notes google docs is easy to share with someone But I like Apple Notes for other things, but it is really difficult to share. So what do you guys use?
1: Yeah, we do use Google Docs. The reason probably that we use Google Docs is, so I used to be Jess's editor. And so that was at the company that we both worked at. What we used was Google Docs. And so we were both real comfortable with that, although we... Tried to create a system like we were using a Trello board, so we'd have an archive of everything, and we'd link the Google Docs in there, so we could share them. And now I just send her an iMessage with a link to a Google, <laughs> Google Doc, and she goes in and she, because you know the nice thing about Notes, I'm assuming maybe this is where you're going, is that you have an archive, you have like a place to go back to a library of all of your things. Whereas right now I just have all of these Google Docs for our show notes that are in with all of the Google Docs, you know, for everything else, and I've never once organized a Google Drive it just goes wherever it goes. So, it's not the most ideal for that, but for sharing back and forth it's great because of the, yeah. you know, you can add things in real time and sometimes she'll just add a note or a comment on something that we're talking about, but she'll just go in after I add the thoughts and she just adds all of her things and it that's been the easiest for actual real-time collaboration.
0: Right. So the the one reason I like using Apple Notes is because it integrates deeply with Shortcuts. And the way I consume news to get ready for a podcast, and this is kind of a year in review because this is going to be a a pick of mine a little later, but I've been using RSS feeds to peruse the news and save articles to talk about on different podcasts. And so I use an app called Reader that's two E's, and I use it on all my devices. And I have a series shortcut on my phone and iPad where if I see an article, I can hit the share button. And when I choose this shortcut that I put together, it finds the raw link so it strips away any shortening any like question mark utm references like strips everything just to the bare link and it op- it then gives me a menu of my apple notes to choose from and so i'll usually have an apple note ready for whatever upcoming episode i'm doing and i can pick that note directly in that little menu that pops up. And once it sends me directly to that note, all I do is hit paste and that raw link is there. And it saves me a little time on the back end rather than trying to have get those raw links and strip out all that stuff later. So that's really the only reason I use Apple Notes. And with my Apple Insider staff, we share a folder, which is a little better than trying to share individual notes because once you get the folder shared, everybody sees it and it's fine. But if you try to both type in a note at the same time, then note starts freaking out and it's not great, so. It was strange when you, cause you did,
1: you sent me a note and I use my Gmail email address for most things nowadays, but my Apple ID is not my Gmail email address. Right. So when I I click on the thing to accept it, all of a sudden the next question it asks is, do you want to change your Apple ID email address? No, that sounds terrible. I know, and I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) But before I realized what had happened, I clicked OK, or I don't even know what I tapped. Oh. But it occurred. I thought to myself, "There's no way it could be that easy to change an Apple ID email address. Like that can't be possible, right?" So yeah, right. all it did was now associate my Gmail address with my current Apple ID, which I guess is okay. fine. But that still seemed awfully, awfully like frictionless to suddenly change something that seems so significant as what's associated with your apple id
0: yeah that, that would not be good and i imagine it came from my apple id didn't it
1: uh i don't even remember i didn't even look i, I think i got an email that said y- right. you wanted to share it with me and anyway but that's fine it worked
0: one of the things in 2021 i would love apple to improve on is notes at all, <laughs> Just, especially sharing and collaboration.
1: I agree, because I literally took it and copied it into a Google Doc.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, so let's look back at 2020. This was a huge year for Apple and for other companies. You actually kind of worked more companies and fields than I do with different devices. So I'd love to hear kind of your picks of the year. But just Apple itself, this year in 2020, amidst a pandemic, they launched a revised iPad Pro, the 2020 version with the A12Z processor, the Magic Keyboard for iPad with the trackpad floating style, a refreshed Air and Mini, not the M1s. These were refreshed Intel ones back in March. They did the iPhone SE, They refreshed the 13-inch MacBook Pro Intel version in May. Then we had WWDC and all the software announcements. Then they did the 27-inch iMac, which I think you actually use one of the... New 27-inch IMAX that they refreshed, right?
1: Yep, that's true.
0: Yeah. And then a huge fall. The Apple Watch Series 6 and SE, the totally revamped iPad Air, the iPhone 12 line, which again is probably the most wide variety iPhone line they've ever launched, plus HomePod Mini, MagSafe, all the M1 stuff that came out just in November, plus MagSafe Duo, AirPods Max, Fitness Plus, just a ton, a ton of stuff. Just a huge year for Apple. And so my first question for you, what was your favorite product launch? Maybe if you give me an Apple one and another one, or if, maybe if your pick is an Apple thing, but what was your kind of favorite launch from 2020 as a year?
1: Yeah, and I'm glad you listed them all because I realized the difficult thing looking back is, especially the, with this fall, how many things happened, it's easy to forget yes. how many things happened earlier in the year because my gut it would have been to say the M1 Max was pretty probably the most significant thing that I think Apple launched. I don't think you can argue from either just usability or from a trajectory of the company. That makes sense. But before that happened, I think probably for me, my favorite product that launched this year was the Magic Keyboard for the iPad. Mm. I have a 2018 iPad Pro, which I've loved using. I, I write a lot on it because I like how it helps me to focus and stuff. But the smart keyboard was like it was just not great. That's the nicest way I can put it. And all of the third party <laughs> options that were out there, um, I think I have I think I have the bridge and I have right. I've used several other things and, and they're all okay, but especially the bridge turns your iPad into something that weighs like four pounds. I, I'm not quoting that, but like it just wasn't great. So the magic keyboard for me with the trackpad, I thought was gonna be my favorite product of the year. but I, I definitely think that after using a M1 MacBook Air, I don't know how I could pick something different than that because it is it has totally changed the way that I think about computers if that if that makes sense
0: yeah, absolutely and and for my pick, I'm gonna say the m one chip and the ecosystem it brings to their hardware as a whole. Like that's got to be my favorite as well, which is tough because so many just strictly hardware launches, you know, some runner ups, I would say the HomePod mini, which is a great entry smart speaker for someone who wants to get into HomeKit and smart home stuff, or it's just in the Apple ecosystem, but didn't want to shell out for the bigger HomePod. I think the HomePod mini is a great option and is going to be super popular with a lot of people or was popular you know, for the holiday season. And I also think another big runner up is the iPhone 12 line as a whole. I mean, I can't remember the last time there was, you know, is four distinct iPhone models all announced in the same event and kind of hitting all the different kinds of things people would want. Like so many people were asking for a smaller iPhone for a long time and Apple gave it to them. They wanted to see really big camera improvements and they have that with the Pro Max and plus all the ones in between you know, the 12 and 12 Pro, it's almost the hardest to distinguish because they're both excellent phones. So I would definitely say Apple did, you know, those two product launches, that one event, really, the iPhone 12, really well. But with the M1 Mac and my M1 MacBook Pro, as far as a piece of hardware, it's probably my favorite.
1: I also think, though, I agree with you about the HomePod mini. I don't think it was necessarily the most exciting product that Apple introduced, but I do think it was one of the most important. And I wrote about that because I think just like you mentioned, it gives people who might be interested in getting into sort of the smart home uh, aspects, the HomeKit, that kind of thing. Apple never really had an answer for that without spending $300 on a speaker that was a great speaker, but wasn't great for that. And I think that if Siri and the HomeKit ecosystem are really going to take off, it's going to be because of the HomePod Mini, right. not just because we all carry around iPhones with Siri on them. And so I think that in some ways that could be. As important going forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, moving on from hardware, I'd love to hear what you thought your favorite announcement Apple had in the software category. And I struggled because they obviously updated a lot. You know, iOS 14, there's a lot of changes. There were service changes with Fitness Plus launching right here at the end of the year. But with all the big changes, like Big Sur was a massive change for the Mac. But I almost feel like as an operating system, it's being a little overshadowed just by the M1 overall. Like, you know, Big Sur is kind of the necessity to use an M1 Mac, but it's really the M1 that is shining there. And I'm also not crazy about the design yet. I'd love to hear your opinion on that. But what is your overall software pick for, you know, Mac OS, iOS, iPad OS for 2020?
1: And I had a hard time. And I think there are a lot of really neat, Like you said, Big Sur brings a whole bunch of very useful functions. And I am a little bit unsure whether I like the design, but I have been using it long enough now that when I (laughs) pick up one of the devices we have here running Catalina, that actually seems more foreign to me. So that just tells me I've gotten used to it at this point. I think for me personally – the most useful feature is the automatic AirPod switching. Oh, yeah. Especially now that that happens with the Mac, if you're using Big Sur.
0: Right.
1: And the reason I feel like it's like literally that's the feature that I notice that I use by far the most because I have AirPods in almost all day. Literally, like I'm wearing them either on a call or because I'm listening to something, or I'm, I sometimes just put them in and turn on the noise cancellation so that I can zone out with the world <laughs> well when you're yeah, trying to write yeah. that's just that's just reality absolutely um the other one i think is a close runner up and i don't think this will have as much of a practical impact, but I think it's just as important is the app trans- app tracking transparency and the privacy nutrition yes. labels. I saw your tweet comparing <laughs> Facebook. I That was brilliant and absurd and exactly everything that's wrong with the world um, that we live in. But I think that, <laughs> that just th- the biggest problem with privacy in the digital age is that it's out of sight, out of mind, right? People just don't right. think about that And so putting it in front of people, and I was a little bit worried that it was gonna be like you had to tap on something to get to these things on a different place. But no, Apple has put them right within the, the scroll path. It's not at the top, but it's pretty easy to find right below the reviews. So I think that that is the other piece. And that might not seem like a big software change, but i actually think that long run we're going to we're going to be seeing a lot of that we're going to see a lot related to that
0: yeah absolutely i'm surprised facebook actually did that you know because there are apps in the app store where you can go and look for the privacy nutrition label and there's nothing there it just says the developer hasn't provided it and so i guess some kudos to facebook for actually having the guts to put that encyclopedia of privacy concerns in that uh, in the app store but I'm sure they would have been blasted
1: if they didn't, too. Well, and there's there's actually two thoughts on that real quick. One, so I I don't remember. I think it was Disney Plus when I I went through and looked because I'm working on a piece just about this. And Disney Plus has not yet added them. And it says, no details provided. This developer will be required to provide privacy details when they submit their Uh next app update. So one thing is Facebook updates their app. I don't know, twice a week. I I don't really know (laughs) how long. (laughs) Twice a week, yeah. But they've probably passed that will be required next time they submit an app. Then the other thing is, if you've looked at Facebook's, It's sort of like, it's in their interest to put everything and have a long thing that takes you six minutes to scroll through, because then you don't notice the bad things, right? Right. They're burying the bad news. You're just like, oh, whatever. I mean, they're tracking everything.
0: Right. And you know, I did get that fatigue. I mean, I'll be honest, I didn't read every bullet point in that privacy thing, but I was like, okay, they take everything. I mean, that's the only thing, you know, the only logical reasoning you can come to is like, if I'm going to use this app, then I just have to understand that they are taking everything. You know, there's no, there's no information that is being kept from them.
1: Yes. They just, it was really easy. They just went through and they clicked select all, right? (laughs) Whatever options they had, (laughs) they just select all, whatever.
0: Option D, all the above. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, when it comes to software, you know, I really wanted to pick one of the big iOS 14 changes, which there were like big improvements to maps. And obviously widgets was like the big thing that everybody jumped on. And, and I'm using widgets and they're fine, but it is not, I don't know, they're, they're, I don't see them as like a deal breaker. Like if we went back to a world where iPhone didn't have these widgets, I, I would be fine. But you know, you had widgets, I would almost say more than that is the change in style for phone call notifications on iphone mm-hmm. rather than a phone taking up the entire or you know when you get a phone call rather than it taking over the entire screen of your iphone it's just a banner now that comes from the top honestly i i love that <laughs> it has literally made my life better because uh i'm not uh, one to talk on the phone a lot anyway and so having my entire screen you know change to oh this person is trying to get hold of me right now uh, it actually helps me but i would say my favorite pick of all their things and this is going to Maybe feel a little weird, again, me having kids is especially useful to me, but the family sharing for Apple Watch. I actually got my oldest son an Apple Watch, and setting it up, you know, being able to give a child a device where you set it up on their account, they can message from their deal, you can set parental controls and screen time restrictions on that device, and they can still go anywhere and have cellular access and GPS but you're not beholden to getting them an entire phone with like a cellular like a full cell phone plan you you do have to still pay for data but we're talking $10 as opposed to like 50 60 or 70 you know if you're going to add them onto your plan and so that kind of you know they've allowed me to kind of kick the ball down the field a little bit as to like when I'm going to decide to give full iPhone devices to my kids. I really appreciated that and I we do find it useful and uh, it's nice to be able to give a little independence and some responsibility but also still kind of keep you know those screen time controls and everything at hand. And uh, so it's a, it's a great feature. So kudos to Apple for thinking about more of that family sharing stuff.
1: Yeah, and I think that really was a smart move to sort of at least introduce one degree of separation between the phone and the watch obviously it's still linked to a phone meaning yours in terms of being able to control it but it was a huge barrier like they opened up an an enormously scalable market by not making everyone buy because our daughters have uh, iphone se's but even those are still four hundred dollars right so if you wanted to buy a phone if you just wanted to buy a watch you're not going to spend 300 bucks on a watch and 400 bucks on a phone just to give your kid a watch where now you might
0: right exactly so let's move to now because you have more experience outside of apple i would love to hear if you had a product that you just found super interesting or a segment of products maybe you feel like has actually a future in the world as like a real thing and not just vaporware what's like an interesting product that you have reviewed or run into this past year this episode is brought to you by helix sleep listen everybody's got to sleep at some point. And we all know what it feels like to have a good night's rest and to wake up knowing you did not sleep well. And you know that the mattress that you sleep on has so much to do about whether you get a good night's rest. I've done a lot of traveling and slept on many mattresses and I've actually tried a lot of internet mattresses. I bought those guys that you've probably heard of already and tried their mattresses. But let me tell you, I've now tried Helix Sleep and it is the number one I would recommend it to anyone and everyone. The reason why I love Helix Sleep is because you actually take a personalized quiz and they will get you the mattress that fits your sleeping style and your preferences. I took their online quiz. It takes just about two minutes to complete and they match your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress. They ask you your age, your height, your weight, and then your sleep position. I sleep on my side and whether you want something soft, medium, or firm. I personally went with a medium and they match me with the Plus mattress i'm a big guy so they did the plus mattress and let me tell you when i got it out you know you take it out of the cardboard box you cut the plastic off and it just kind of inflates and listen this thing is so comfortable when i put it on the bed and slept on it for the first time it was a world of difference compared to any other mattress i've tried everybody's unique and helix knows that and that's why they have several different mattress models to choose from and after you take that quiz they'll get the one that's just right for you so if you're looking for a mattress take the quiz Order the mattress that you're matched to, and it will ship to your door for free. You won't ever have to go to a store to try out a mattress again, especially in these times right now. You probably don't want to go to a store and lay on a mattress that other people have probably laid on. So Helix is awesome. You don't have to take my word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. So just go to helixsleep.com slash Apple Insider. Take their two-minute quiz, they'll match you with a customized mattress, and it will give you the best sleep of your life. And they have a 10-year warranty. You can try it out for 100 nights, risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it. It's so easy, you really have nothing to lose, but everything to gain in a good night's rest. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. So just go to helixsleep.com. Dot com slash Apple Insider. Get up to 200 bucks off and two free pillows. I highly recommend you try it. Helix Slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Helix for sponsoring this episode. What's well, like an interesting product that you have reviewed or run into this past year?
1: Yeah, so I spent quite a bit of time with some foldable devices. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about the Z Fold 2, the mm-hmm. Samsung, the Microsoft Surface. Duo. I can't even remember the names of all of them. And I actually right now have a Lenovo ThinkPad, I think it's called the Flex, or I can't even remember. But it's a very strange. It's like a tablet, right? Laptop, weird thing. <laughs> right? I haven't spent enough time with it, except for I don't. I haven't figured out why it exists. The other <laughs> ones I do, they're like phones, right? They do have a reason for existing. And while I'm not necessarily suggesting that everyone should go out and buy a foldable device, they're very expensive, right? Both of the the Samsung and the yeah. Microsoft are like fourteen hundred bucks to two thousand dollars. It was interesting to me because they have figured out a way to to some varying degree of success to bring bridge the gap between the phone that you carry all the time and a tablet which is without question better at like consuming content. I would much rather right. consume content on my on my iPad than on my iPhone. And so I wrote a piece that hasn't published yet about how I think that foldable devices very well could be the future of productivity. I don't think they're there yet. But what's interesting about it is, I wouldn't be surprised. And this is the Apple Insider podcast, so don't send me hate mail. That it, <laughs> I, I think there will come a point in time where people will start to expect that Apple will do that. I don't, I think they'll be the last people to do it. But when you use them for a while, especially the Samsung, and I'm, I'm. I mean, I everything sitting on my desk right now is from Apple. So let me just be clear about that. I want to make sure my bona fides are, <laughs> are, are secure.
0: <laughs> but right, right. it
1: was. It was a great. It was an extremely well made device. It has some drawbacks, but it was a. In using it, I. I genuinely enjoyed using it, and I usually don't with Samsung devices. You know, this year alone, I had the Galaxy S twenty and the in the Note twenty Ultra five G whatever. I can't they they all name them so well. But the the <laughs> Z Fold two another great name was the only one I could actually see finding a place in my life. I don't know if I could find a place with a phone, a tablet, and a foldable. But that was the most interesting thing to me overall. And I think that we will see more of that. And I think we'll not only I don't think we've settled on what the form factor was look like the microsoft version was really interesting too the problem there is that and this is actually true of all the foldable devices so far and this is why i think apple should at least think about it is that android is terrible on a foldable device because it doesn't (laughs) it doesn't know whether it's a phone or a tablet right and android on a tablet is bad android on a phone is fine (laughs) like i like ios better but android on a phone is fine yeah android on a foldable device is very confused and microsoft's version of that was like very confused (laughs) because it's like Stapling two devices together, and it's not, it, it rarely did what I expected it to do. And I know that there are people who had better luck than I did. I only used one for about three weeks apparently that's not long enough. It was as long as I had in my <laughs> life to try. The Whereas the at least the Samsung, it's like, oh, this opens up its one device, whatever. So that was the most interesting thing I saw. I wouldn't say it was my favorite non-Apple device, but it was certainly the one that I can see. We're going to see a lot more of that in the future.
0: Well, since I already did the M1 Mac as my favorite product, I'm not going to do that because I, I do think it is interesting, especially for the future of Macs, uh, which we'll talk about the future in a moment. But I'm going to pick the Magic Keyboard as the most interesting product that Apple released. You know, it's it's easy to think now that, oh, yeah, it was inevitable. And of course, Apple made this. But if you think back a year ago, you know, the idea of Apple doing something with a trackpad or like adding, building something with a trackpad for the iPad, it was a hope, you know, and Federico Vatici over at Mac stories, you know, he was hoping for that and all that kind of stuff. But when Apple actually launched this magic keyboard case with a trackpad and basically went all in to say, just use it like a computer with a trackpad mouse, that was kind of a big deal. And, you know, Craig Federighi did that whole video saying, here's how you use a trackpad with an iPad and all that. So I think it is interesting because it shows that Apple is looking at the iPad, A, as a computer replacement for some people. And I'll say that I actually recommended for my parents this year to get a 12-point-inch iPad Pro, and that's what they went with to replace their older MacBook. And so, like, that's their main computer now. And it is for a lot of people. But the Magic Keyboard also shows that they are really, I think, going to be pouring some, I don't know, more development, more power into what the iPad can do. And as we'll talk about in a moment, I'm very excited to see what Apple does with the iPad next year and in the coming years. I I still think, you know, I hear so many people talk about this, about is the iPad just going to become like the Mac, Or is macOS just going to become like iPadOS and it's going to be the same? I disagree. I feel like they'll always be separate. There'll always be a reason for both. And I think I honestly don't know how I feel about it because there are times where I wish my iPad could do, you know, this podcast that I'm recording the way I'm doing it with Skype and Audio Hijack. You can't do that on an iPad. And I think maybe I would want it to do that. But maybe that's introducing too much complication into what the iPad is as a device. So I'll fully admit I have mixed emotions on this. I'm not sure what I want, but I'm interested in how Apple is approaching the iPad and what it's going to do with it in the future.
1: And I agree. I think the people get hung up because the iPad can do so much, but there's like this slight there's like this glass ceiling. It can't quite get through there. And it's it like pokes through occasionally with features (laughs) that make you feel like, wow, this is I mean, until I had this m1 macbook air my two-year-old ipad was as fast as a 13 year old macbook pro i was using it's not quite as fast as this imac but but still i think that there's a challenge and the other piece that i think trips people up is that on the windows side right there's a lot of windows laptops that have touchscreens and they're not terrible like they really aren't terrible it doesn't ruin windows to have a touch screen you mostly just use it to occasionally tap on an icon or scroll when you're on the internet like that's what you do with a touch screen on on a windows PC. Right. But the reason I think it messes people up is there is no, well, there used to be, but there's no mobile windows. Right. And so there's <laughs> two, but a- Apple, the, the parallel doesn't work there, right? There's iOS and there's Mac OS. So people have a hard time reconciling that with touchscreen on a PC, which is the only example we've really seen, but I don't think there's any reason that they both can't exist. And I don't think that the iPad has to run Mac OS in order to do it. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, for sure. So interested to see what comes of that. But as our last look back to 2020, Jason, what was your favorite app or service? You know, they kind of are one in the same a lot of times, but your favorite app that you've been using this past year uh, that kind of stands above the rest?
1: I wanted to say Notion, but I just started using it, and I don't know if I like it enough <laughs> to say that. I, I just, yeah. It's good. Don't get me wrong. and I, But I can't decide yeah, yeah. if it's more useful than Trello is for my purposes. So I'm going to go with Hey, which is very controversial on an Apple podcast. Wow. Okay. But here's why. More than any other app or services I tried this year, it it solved a very real problem. So Hey is the email service from the people who make Basecamp. And it's not perfect. Don't get me wrong. It, it, I don't love Basecamp's design language the
0: sure
1: their ui throughout everything that they do but it solved a very real problem for me which i don't know if this is true for you but i get a hundred emails a day from people who want yeah. to pitch me on something okay and <laughs> and so and a lot or they'll send me you know messages from my website or they tweet at me and stuff so i just literally put my uh hey email address jason ain't feel free to email me i don't it's fine on my Twitter, make it super easy because that's the one I want people to email me at. Right, if I mm-hmm. if that way they aren't looking for like my personal one or my Gmail or whatever. But the way it it allows me to manage that email, that incoming is brilliant, right? Everything goes into the screener. You can easily decide, like, I don't ever want to hear from the third person today. Who's trying to sell me on why tech is the future of cannabis. I don't, I don't write about, that's not my beat. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm not wait, even wait.
0: tech is the future of cannabis. I'm oh, yeah, just I guess saying, saying like, rather mean, than cannabis being the future of tech, okay. well, maybe
1: a little bit of both. I don't know. Actually, I think cannabis <laughs> is mostly the past of tech in the future. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, But it, right. like, it, that's not my thing. And so it it makes it very easy to deal with that kind of a volume of email on a regular basis. And then the stuff that I do and then the stuff that I deal with, it's very good at dealing with, you know, emailing people back. I love being able to save snippets. I love that I can control and only get notifications on an individual basis. So it's like, Oh, this email thread, I need to make sure I keep track of this so I can just make sure I get notifications from them. But everything else in my inbox is great. The fifth, you know, press release from this company that I do want to have. I don't need to be notified about it. I'll go in and check it later. So, it, it solved a very real need that I had, hmm. and in that regards, I think it's probably been my favorite app of 2020. I know that it's that's not an endorsement of everything else that's happened regarding Hey and Apple and the App Store and all that kind of stuff, but I think the service itself has met a real, real need in my life. Okay,
0: no, that's good. And so I'll, I'll say. A few runner-ups, I started using Notion this past year to, I feel like, because you can't go on Twitter for more than two minutes without seeing tweets about Notion, someone made a YouTube video about Notion, about how they use it, or why it's amazing, and so I resisted for a while, and then I fell into it, and I do like it for some things, not everything. It's probably most useful when someone uses it as kind of like the all-encompassing tool for their work. I haven't been able to, to make it be that, but I do really like Notion. I still use things as my main to-do. I really enjoy things for my tasks and organizing projects and things like that. And like I mentioned before, I've been doing more podcasting this year and really to kind of browse the news articles and put them together in a place in a note where I can then record and refer to them. Reader, that's R-E-E-D-E-R, has been great. They actually updated recently late in the year to kind of have their own iCloud syncing and feed stuff. So you don't have to use a service like Feedly anymore. You can just do Reader. And so I really like it. But I would say my number one app, and this has probably almost been my number one pick for a couple years now, it's the note-taking app Bear. And I've admitted this on Twitter, whenever a new note-taking app comes around. Like I have to try it. When it comes to task managers and note-taking apps, I want to try everyone that comes out because you're always, it's like, I don't know if chasing dragons the right word, but you're always looking for that one app that's like, I'm just going to love everything about it and it's going to be perfect. And I can honestly say I've not found something better for me than Bear. You know, I even tried that new one that came out Craft, which is a great app. It's beautiful. It's more like Notion. But Bear just has some incredible features. I want to be able to write in Markdown. Bear allows me to do that. I want to be able to export my note as a PDF and have it look nice enough where I can email it to somebody and it just looks great out of the box. Bear does that too. And this one feature that I use pretty much every day and I just can't live without anymore is when you write in Bear, if I write it in Markdown, if I have links and styling and all that kind of stuff, if you highlight text in the Bear app, and this is on iPhone, iPad or the Mac, you get the option to copy as HTML or copy as rich text or just copy as plain text and it'll just copy that to your clipboard. You don't have to do any kind of converting or exporting. I don't have to use a series shortcut. I can literally just highlight a section of Bear and say copy as HTML and then paste it in a website or you know whatever for the podcast article for Apple Insider. And it's just it's super simple, very easy. And that one feature alone is just amazing. And again, I just keep coming back to it just for general note-taking because the syncing is amazing. Uh, I love the aesthetic. It has the themes and the colors. So for me, Bear is kind of my non-negotiable. I need Bear to be able to do my work. And uh, it's just a great, it's a great app, great product. So kudos to Bear.
1: I I agree. I I, I mean, I've used Bear. I use Ulysses now, but I just was going to highlight, I do love the feature you just described. There's a very similar right-click in Ulysses and it'll let you do that. And it's important because... You know, I write at two different publications, Inc. and then Business Insider. But I write all of my columns, everything, in Ulysses. But those two places obviously have very different CMSs and different mm-hmm. workflows and different stuff. So I need to be able to quickly like decide: am I copying this as plain text, or should I add links and all that kind of stuff? And should I be able to copy it as? So being able to copy it as HTML is a big deal because otherwise I'd have to like go back through and drop it onto like a Google Doc and then add links later. So I, I that's a big deal. Especially when you're working across different platforms. And I think I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that a lot of people who are using no apps would never even think that some of those little t- capabilities are buried in there. It's like, oh, I just write. Right. I'm just writing in
0: here. But no, but you got to do something with it. And so that makes it much more useful. Yeah, absolutely. This episode is sponsored by Ladder Life Insurance. I used to work at a job where I traveled all the time, internationally. I would fly over the Atlantic, and I would go to other countries in Europe and Africa. And every time I was on that plane, I was thinking, you know, I'm the main breadwinner for my family. I'm the only one that works. And if something happens to me, I want to make sure that my family is covered. I have a wife and three kids, and that'd be a lot to support, especially in today's day and age. That's why I've always felt that life insurance is one of the most important things that you can have. So why not pay just a little bit each month to protect the ones you love? And so let me highly recommend Ladder Life Insurance. That's L-A-D-D-E-R, like the thing you climb on to get to your roof. Ladder makes it impressively fast and easy to get covered. You just go to ladderlife.com slash Apple Insider and you can learn all about their offerings. They have a beautiful website. It feels like you're buying term life insurance in like the modern age. Like this feels like a company of today. You just need a few minutes. You can do it on a phone or your laptop and ladder smart algorithms work in real time, so they'll find instantly if you're approved. There's no hidden fees. You can cancel at any time. And since life insurance costs more as you age, now's the time to cross it off your list. So lock in your best rate today and get your family covered with Ladder. Go to ladderlife.com slash appleinsider. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash appleinsider to sign up ladderlife.com slash Apple Insider and get covered with term life insurance. Our thanks to Ladder for sponsoring this episode. All right, so as we look to 2021, we're looking to the future. Obviously, what Apple's going to be doing with their M processors for the Mac is amazing. So what specific products are you looking forward to? And, And here's some of the rumors. Obviously, that we still have yet to see AirTags, Apple's location, tag device trackers you know it looks like that might be coming in 2021 maybe that 14 inch macbook pro possibly powered by an m series chip obviously we'll probably see new ipads in 2021 hopefully a <laughs> new apple tv as that is getting rather long in the tooth so those are some of the rumored products mini led coming to some of those product lines but what do you hope apple launches in 2021
1: i definitely would look forward to a new ipad pro right i still have the 2018 i didn't there wasn't really in my opinion much of a reason to upgrade in 2020 the 2020 version's great but the 2018 unless you care about lidar which i just don't on an ipad it didn't wasn't that compelling for me but after seeing what they did to the ipad air I feel like there's a whole lot of room to grow for the ipad pro mm-hmm. and because it's a device that i use so much i, I write on it i it, because it helps me to focus as opposed to this 27 inch imac which has you know 100 windows open at any given time and i it it's easy to get distracted right yeah on that note by the way a huge plug for the um chrome plug-in pause because it mm-hmm. it, it, it just gives you when you click on twitter it gives you like a five second timeout to decide whether you really want to go to Twitter or the New York Times or any of those places. It just, and it doesn't stop you. It just makes you stop for a second. And I've had to start using that on on my iMac because I get very easily distracted, just like they're explaining it. Um, but the iPad <laughs> Pro, I think, would be a great upgrade at this point. And then uh, this is out there, but considering that the news that, um, I think it was Mark Gurman at Bloomberg reported this week, or last week, excuse me, that Apple has started working on its own modems. Right. I don't I don't know if it'll be a twenty twenty one thing, but I think it's possible that we might see a 5G powered MacBook Air. I think that those modems that Apple builds hmm. may end up in a Mac before they end up in an iPhone hmm. because they work right now on the iPhone, right? And, and Apple has a deal with Qualcomm for through like twenty twenty five. It doesn't mean they have to use them all that time, but that's that's the deal that they made when they settled their lawsuit. I think it's possible that we could see a MacBook Air that has Cellular capability, I think it would be the ideal candidate. And when you think – and some people are going to think you're crazy. like, But when you consider the gains we got in battery – in the M1 Max without even changing the form factor, right? They didn't do any they didn't change the battery at all. It's literally the same battery that was in the old one. All they did is stick a better processor in it, right? And get rid of the fan. Right. And in the battery life is extraordinary. Now you have some power to give, some battery life to give for something like a cellular modem and I think that I don't I think that's one of the reasons Apple was like nobody cares about this and right now none of us are going anywhere so it's not all that useful, but hopefully in 8 months that will not be the, that will change. <laughs> right.
0: Yes. Right?
1: And I think my theory is that that will be a way that when the MacBook Pros get the M1 X or whatever comes out, or maybe even they skip it to the M2. I don't have any idea, but that the way you different, differentiate the Air now is it also has wireless. Right. So I think that yeah. I I think that there's a possibility there.
0: Yeah, that would be interesting. So I like you; am very much looking forward to the 2021 iPad Pro. I'm also rocking the 2018 version. I skipped 2020, and so I am definitely doing an iEdit all my podcasts on my iPad and I do the writing and that kind of stuff on it. So I'm very much looking forward to that refresh version. Can't wait to see what chip they put in it. And cause I'm sure there'll be just amazing benchmarks and battery life from that as well. I'm also looking forward to an M-based iMac. I'm rocking a 2015 Intel iMac, which is basically ancient now that M-based computers exist. (laughs) And so I'm looking forward to replacing that as well. And then I'm also looking forward to the Apple TV hardware being refreshed, but more so the remote. I would love Apple to do something different with that Apple TV remote. And with the newest Chromecast, I don't know if you got one of those, but it kind of has that round remote. You know, it's, I think, a little more ergonomic but would love to see a little bit of differentiation there in the in the remote and also when it comes to Apple TV Apple TV plus content i think apple's been doing a pretty good job you know ted lasso has been very popular they also released some pretty cool you know, like movies and TV shows like Greyhound with Tom Hanks. I've seen some of their documentary stuff and that's pretty interesting. I'm looking forward to For All Mankind coming back. I think it's in February. So I think they've done really well this year. I'm looking forward to what they're going to release in 2021 as far as original content as well.
1: I I would agree, especially because like you mentioned, Ted Lasso, my my wife wanted to start rewatching the series because it was (laughs) so much fun and there's no new episodes yet. But even some of the the other shows like I had watched the morning show when it came out and you know, that's the problem with 10 episode seasons and a pandemic, right? Like you have to wait more right. than a year to get these things. So I definitely would, you know, look forward to that, especially because I would like to get as much content out of it before, you know, while well, it's free, right? Why are you still getting a free trial on to decide like, is this thing? I mean, I guess with the Apple one, it's included anyway. So right, we're past that point, but I, I definitely think that, an improved Apple TV hardware. You called the, um, Chromecast remote more ergonomic. I think at the time when it came out, I, my theory was that a piece of, you know, baloney is more ergonomic than the Apple version. (laughs) And more useful and less likely to get caught in your couch, to be honest with you. I can't tell you how often we'll sit down. Even now, like we'll sit down to watch church, right? Our church streams on YouTube and you sit down to do that. And all of a sudden somebody sits down next to you and then you're watching, you know, (laughs) an an unboxing of... (laughs) of some graphics card because YouTube just switches because somebody like brushed against or breathed on the remote. And so I, I, exactly if they don't refresh anything else, but just introduced a new remote, people would be so thankful for that. But I think at 179 bucks, it's long past time for us to get slightly better Apple TV box.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I realized the difficulty in the Apple TV remote because my daughter, she's four and she's capable of working a lot of pieces of technology. Like she can work an iPad and, And we have a Logitech Harmony remote, and she can go up and down and click OK. She can play Sneaky Sasquatch with a controller on the TV. But she was trying to use the Apple TV remote to navigate and trying to explain how to navigate. You know, I'd say, like, swipe up, but not too far, not too much. No, go swipe down a little bit. And then to select something, I realized it's totally unintuitive because there's no indication on the remote that you can click. The top part, like there's no, there's nothing, unless you know, you know, I, I imagine, I think there's a little like instruction animation when you first set up an Apple TV, probably how to use it. But for her, I had to be like, so you click that thing you were just swiping on. She was like, what? <laughs> so yeah, it's was like, yeah. Yeah, that but, doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it, it doesn't like, and, and like you has said, we've had many times where we're all sitting on the couch watching something and then all of a sudden it pauses or someone hits the menu button. It's like, who is sitting on the remote? <laughs> you know, where is it? and yeah i would just love to see that change be updated
1: we have one of the steel series nimbus plus yeah you know controllers for the games at the apple arcade games or whatever and it's easier to control your apple tv with that yeah gaming control than it is the actual apple one because at least you have buttons and things do what you expect but i never thought about it before that it is very unintuitive that something you you touch control is also a physical control. We're used to tapping on things, but that's not what you do. You actually have to click it and that doesn't make any sense.
0: Right, and I guess, you know, if you use trackpads on a MacBook, it's the same thing, but I don't know, there's just a different level of abstraction with a TV remote that you don't expect to do that. And especially someone who's never used one of those remotes, it's it's just not obvious. In our next question, what do we hope Apple changes this year? Siri Remote is one for me. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Sandisk. Well, we've gone through the holidays and you probably have a ton of photos and videos on your phone. You probably have family members who are taking pictures and you know somebody's phone just got that warning that said you're out of space. Well, here's the solution for you. SanDisk is now making an iExpand flash drive. This thing is so cool. It'll help you clear the clutter off of your phone, back up your photos and videos. And even if someone doesn't have iCloud storage, they'll be able to back up their photos for peace of mind. The iExpand flash drive It's like a thumb drive designed just for your iPhone. It has a lightning port on one side. You can plug it directly into your phone. And here's the cool part. It has a USB port on the other side. So if you want to connect it to a Mac or even a PC, you can access those files right on your computer. No adapter needed. You can transfer your photos, videos, even backup stuff from your phone. So you can back up your entire photo and video library because the iXpand flash drive comes in 128, even up to 256 gigabytes of storage. So even if you got a new iPhone or your friend or family has a new iPhone but they don't have that iCloud storage or they just wanna be able to access files easily or transfer stuff back and forth from their phone. I actually do a lot of audio recordings as you would imagine because I do podcasting. And so sometimes I actually record a quick audio clip on my phone or my iPad and I can just stick the iXpand flash drive in. I love it because it integrates with the native files app. So you see that iXpand flash drive pop up and I can copy and move my files however I need to on whatever device I'm on. And it's super easy. So start 2021 off right, free up space on your phone, back up your photos. And if you don't need it, again, think about your friends and family who maybe they're not backing up their photos and then it'll help them out too. So for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order of featured Sandisk products, but only when you go to sandisk.com slash insider. That's S-A-N-D-I-S-K.com slash insider for 15% off featured products. Don't wait, that's sandisk.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Sandisk for sponsoring this episode. In our next question, what do we hope Apple changes this year? Siri Remote is one for me. Um, Also, the note updating that I talked about. I would love to see Apple Notes, A, have markdown support. That would be awesome. Better sharing options, better ways to share it, a little more reliable also. And also for me, Big Sur, while okay and fine, also really... buggy at, at times as well. I've been having weird bugs with the Messages app on my M1 MacBook Pro, where I'll click it and it takes like 20 seconds to register that I clicked in the window, just the Messages window. So that's a little weird. And just overall, obviously apps are updating and all that kind of stuff, so there's some incompatibilities uh, around software. But I would love to see Apple kind of spend the first half of this year, maybe even into whatever they announce at WWDC, really ironing out bug fixes you know, kind of one of those like Snow Leopard releases for those who remember that, where it's really like we're going to solidify everything mm-hmm. and just make it rock solid for the next, you know, however long. So that would be my my choices.
1: Yeah, the iOS 12 version of macOS is what we need yeah. next. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so I have a long list. I'll go through it real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the first one is sticking with the Apple TV. I would really like it if Apple would figure out the difference between Apple TV, the TV app, and Apple TV+. Plus. Because I think it's very confusing when you try to tell – like the home screen of the Apple TV is not the Apple TV app, which has the same name. And you can find some things in some places. And and part of that is because I I think ideally they would prefer you only ever use the Apple TV app or the TV app on the Apple TV. But like some (laughs) content providers don't. Um, right. Netflix. Yeah. Netflix specifically. Although I don't know, they did it for the Chromecast. So who knows? We'll see what hap- you know, what happens there, but yeah, yeah, that would be one. I think that I would love it if Apple would make the mail, the default native mail apps better, uh, so that they actually have a share sheet. Yes. Right. And now I did learn a trick. I don't know who I heard this from. It might've been on the Mac power users that if you print a yes. mail message and then do like the three finger Like you're zooming, but not the pinch, the opposite of a pinch that you then it makes it a PDF that you can then share. I never knew that, but that's pretty like unintuitive.
0: But it is amazing. Yeah, I agree. It's amazing once you figure it out. It's like I could do all this in mail and it's totally like you said, non obvious, but yeah, you pinch out on like you, you, if you're looking at an email, you hit reply, I think it is, and then you can go to the print option. When the print preview is on screen, you pinch out. And then you get like this document that's basically a PDF that you can then share to anything. And it's ridiculous that that's not like just a stock feature or, you know, command that you can do in mail.
1: Yeah. And why do you, yeah. Ne- well, never mind that you hit reply. <laughs> then you get right. the option to print, which is not <laughs> a function of replying, which you then, get, yeah. So there's a couple things wrong there. But if they would just make them both the macOS version and the iOS version better, I would be happy because um, we've had this conversation online about, like, I'm pretty obsessive about about mail apps I use Spark but right. and Spark's not perfect there are things that I actually prefer especially on the iOS version of Spark you only get one preview line and you don't get the option of mm. changing it whereas in the Mac or the Apple version you can say I want two lines three lines whatever yeah. of preview so that when you're looking at your list of emails you can decide yeah that's from somebody I care about but I can see part of the message and I don't need to look at it right now so anyway I wish they would just make it more functional yeah. on the iPhone I think it'd be great if they would add touch ID Right? We, we thought that mm, it was something right. that they might do since they've added it to the iPad Air. Hopefully, we're not all wearing masks the next time they introduce an iPhone, but I still think you obviously have the technology. Right, it, That part can't cost that much, just add it. I mean, you, and here's the thing. There's, there's precedent. They took the digital crown from the watch and put it on the headphones. Yeah. Right. So they have, they have, there is precedent for it. Yeah. Um. While they're, while they're changing parts, I'd like it if they get rid of the touch bar. <laughs> I, I'm not a yeah. fan of the touch bar. That's not a surprise to anyone who's listened yeah. to me on any podcast, but I would really like to see the four port macbook pro and i'd love it if it was a 14 inch but i don't even care make it a 13 inch make it a 12.9 inch i don't it doesn't matter but get rid of the touch bar i'll be much more happy with that (laughs) and then the final thing is i really wish or i hope that they make widgets on the iPhone interactive. So like if I have the yes. Things widget open, I can just tap the thing off. Like I can click it off without taking me into the app. And that yes. that to me is like the biggest miss of the whole thing it's like, you give me this widget. You make me think it's interactive. All it does is it's a shortcut to open the app.
0: Yes. I will echo everything you just said. One With the widgets, what's maddening is I have a Things widget in my... The screen left of the home screen on my iPhone, whatever you call it, Today View, I think it's what the official term is. But I have a Things Widget there. And if I tap a specific task in the widget, it'll open the app and literally highlight the task that I just tapped. So that tells me, like, obviously the widget can communicate what task I was trying to interact with. But I just need one more level to just be able to check it off. Like, just let me click the checkbox so I can make that task go away because I completed it rather than having to open the whole app. So, 100% yes, interactive widgets. And I'll agree with the touch bar. You made fun of me on Twitter, as you do. Uh, when I bought, <laughs> when I chose to go with the 13 inch M1 MacBook Pro, you basically said, you bought a touch bar. It's like, yeah, I bought a touch bar. And I will say again, I am not crazy about it. I keep it in the control strip view, so it doesn't change app to app. It just has the control settings, basically, hopefully what hardware keys would be. You know, you got brightness, you got volume, keyboard backlight brightness, you know, maybe you got the play, pause, whatever. So... I just keep it stock because I just I want to know that the control is there. If I want to change the brightness of the screen, I don't have to tap the thing and then slide it or try and tap one side or the other. I just want to tap one button to increase, one button to decrease. So, a hundred percent. On the touch bar, yes.
1: Yeah, and I think to come full circle from where we started this entire conversation, what I think I heard you just say, though you didn't tweet it, is that I was right. (laughs) (laughs) And obviously, for for context, what I was trying to say is that there's just not that much difference between the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro. So if somebody was trying to decide between which they should buy of the M1 MacBook Air and MacBook Pro, the joke was basically all you're getting for the extra price is a touch bar.
0: And you, you are not wrong. And... I think I said this on Twitter, but I I fully admit that if someone is trying to decide between the, you know, 8-core GPU Air, you know, the higher-end version of the M1 Air that you can get, and a MacBook Pro you really should go with the Air. Like there's really not a lot of reason, really not much of any reason to go with the MacBook Pro. For me, I was simply abating that voice in my head that would tell me two months down the road, this thing might've been a little faster if you would've gotten the Pro, which may not even have been right. uh, But you know, the Pro has the fan, so it can hopefully sustain process longer if you're exporting a video. So I just wanted to pre-silence that voice in my head. (laughs) And it is totally a psychological no normal person should probably get the pro over the air.
1: So basically it's like a $300 peace of mind,
0: which is totally legit, to be honest. Hey, listen, <laughs> I will do that. But yes, yeah, you're right. Uh, hopefully, it maybe some performance, but who knows? Anyway, so finally, as we look to 2021 and beyond, I'm curious, Jason, what field of technology, what area, you know, as wide net as you want to cast, what are you keeping your eye on in 2021? What are you thinking about? For me, just very quickly, I'm very curious what augmented reality is going to be doing now that we have the LiDAR on the phone and the iPad. And even Tim Cook said he was on that podcast outside recently talking about national parks and all that. Even he said that AR and VR are very much in their a uh, field of development this is what they're looking at as a company very curious what ar is going to bring in the next few years and also smart home you know that's been one of the slowest adopted kind of areas of technology uh, because it's hard and home kit's kind of lacked many of the features speaking about things i hope apple changes i hope they do add more functionality to the home app and home kit so you don't have to jump between You know, this specific app for this device that you're using, and then the home app. So, smart home stuff and AR for me is uh, what I'm really looking at in the next few years and what I'm curious about. But how about you?
1: I think, well, I wanna say one thing about that real quick. I hope that Apple makes it so, and I think some of the interoperability that we should hopefully see down the road, maybe we'll change this. But, you know, in our house, we have Alexa devices, we have Google Assistant devices, and we have Siri devices now with a couple HomePod minis. But all of our smart home stuff is the Google stuff because it's literally like the easiest thing to set up. We put a, a, a plug on our Christmas tree upstairs, our, our little Christmas tree upstairs, because the plug was behind the couch, and I didn't want to have to move the couch every time I wanted to unplug the Christmas tree. And <laughs> sure. it took like 30 seconds at most. I couldn't. I tried to do it with with HomeKit, and I couldn't figure it out. And I'm a fairly smart person, but you know, somehow <laughs> yeah. I figured out that the Apple. TV is the hub for the Christmas tree that I'm going to use my phone to control. Like I, it made no sense to me. So yes, some improvement (laughs) there would be well welcome because I'd be happy to use HomeKit for everything. It's just it's I don't have time to figure that out. So and we're already in the Google stuff was just easy to use and so. But but this leads to my field that I'm keeping my eye on, which is privacy. I don't love the fact that Google knows when I'm home. You know I have a Nest thermostat. I have a, a Google Nest home hub mac when a big thing with a screen on it and a camera i don't know what it is called
0: <laughs> yeah yeah can't
1: keep chicken names i review too many things but you know it's got a camera we've got some of the little you know hockey puck things throughout the house we have one of the nest audios they you right. know they're great products but the fact is that google's just soaking up all this information and sure. I, we don't really, i don't really have anything to really hide but still there's this idea that we're just feeding into this and so i think that privacy is a big Big area that we're going to start to see and hear a lot more about because Apple has taken a stance on it and has made such a contrast with, especially. I mean, on the same podcast you were talking about, um, you know, in Tim Tim Cook and um, I think Craig uh, Federighi was speaking. At, he he gave a keynote address yes. on the same topic, yes. and they don't. They're making no like bones about it. They're just calling out the com- the competitors, and I think that that's that was the, actually the article where I gave you credit for being right, that Apple is not the new Facebook, is about privacy related things. And I think one of the side effects could be that we may end up paying for more content, right? Because essentially, we pay for a lot of the things on the internet with our personal information, we don't pay money for them, but we pay for them with our identity and our activity. And they track everything that we do. And that's how they show us ads. The only alternative to like I write for two sites, one of them is primarily ad supported, Right. So I, I don't have a problem mm-hmm. with ads in particular because that's right. how a lot of people make a living. But the point is that there's got to be a better way to do it. And I think even that site has started a paywall. Yeah. And I think that that's the direction. I will tell you, as a content creator, as a writer, it's actually better. I'd rather people just pay for the content because right. the it changes, it aligns my interest with theirs. Right. My interest now is to give them content that they're willing to pay for. Right. As opposed to content that they'll click on so that somebody can click on an ad so that. You know, there's a page view so that somebody can get paid, and so I think that there's a chance that subscriptions and bundles will start to become a much bigger thing in the next year. I think Apple News could actually be a beneficiary of this. I, a lot of people hate on Apple News. I use it every day. I find I love that I can mm. organize different categories and different publications. I think that you'll start to see that. You know, it, it's not obviously just a sh- straight RSS feed app, but I think that because of Consumers paying more attention to privacy, the, there's going to be a shift from ad supported content to subscription supported content. And I think that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it would be a beautiful world when you didn't have to try to clickbait every headline. You know, you could just write AirPods Max review and that's the headline. Right. And then you know that the people that want to read it are paying to read it and they don't care about the headline, they care about what you're saying. That would be amazing. It's tough because, you know, at what point kind of in this world with streaming services, you know, how many streaming services are people going to pay for? Paying for Netflix when Disney Plus comes out that comes up. And then with the whole telecom, like, you know, AT&T is giving away HBO Max for free and just, you know, put movies on there instead of the theater. So there's this like, you know, how many streaming services are people going to pay for? How many news publications would people pay for? if given that, and I feel like bundling news services would be even more difficult. You know, Apple's trying to do a news plus and I'm with you. Like I use news plus it's, that's kind of my one news source. I have the little widget, I say, oh, yeah, well, the two headlines and I'll just look at it. But while I agree, I hope that is where it, it goes and that people are willing to pay for it. I feel like historically I've seen people not wanting to pay for things. I still find people who don't want to pay 99 cents for an app. You know, even if I tell them, listen, this app will improve your life. They're like, thing's two dollars. I'm not gonna buy that. You know, I feel like there's this <laughs> this value mismatch where they don't understand why they're buying something. People don't understand why they have to pay for iCloud storage, you know? And so they're unwilling to pay $3 a month so they don't lose all their photos. And I feel like there's still this gap between understanding the value and like putting money where the value really is. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, and I you, you hit on it at the end. It's like where the value really is because the same person who won't pay for that might pay $70 to you know, get their nails done. And I'm not picking on that person. I'm just saying like people have, that's not me because I, you know, yeah. I don't get my nails done, but th- that's fine. I think that you pay for what you value. Yeah. The, the the shift is going to be an awareness that when the thing that you thought you used to get for free, you realize uh, I was actually paying for that with something else. And I don't, right. that I don't want that because I do value my own personal information or my privacy. And I, I just think that that's going to be an interesting set aside all of the, you know the european union and the united states are all embroiled in a lot of forthcoming antitrust and regulatory things i think that we're not able to avoid seeing that information i think even, even though most people don't care about that i i asked a question today like would your life be better off worse or the same if facebook was broken up and people are like what why would they break up facebook and i'm like well if they separated instagram from facebook how would your life change? wait a minute facebook owns instagram i don't understand what yeah, you're talking about don't know. like yeah so yeah. i think that while that part of it is still sort of ignorance is bliss, I think at some point people start to realize, hold on, you're literally like, you know that much about me. That just feels weird. And you, you do it because you are adding a value. But the thing that you're adding a value is just the opportunity to sell me the thing that I looked at on Amazon last week. Like that's not actually adding value to my life, right? <laughs> yeah, So yeah,
0: Exactly. Well, that's a good place to end on. Thank you, Jason, again, for joining me. Tell our listeners uh, if they want like to follow you or read what you're writing, where should they go?
1: Absolutely. So you can follow me on Twitter at Jason Aiton. Uh I write a column at Inc.com and at Business Insider, mostly about tech stuff, tech gadgets, the tech industry. Um, but you can also, the easiest way to get to that is you can just visit my website, net, and there's links to all that kind of stuff.
0: Awesome. Well, and don't forget, you can give us a five-star rating, the Apple Insider Podcast and Apple Podcasts. We'd greatly appreciate that. Don't forget to check out HomeKit Insider, our podcast all about HomeKit and smart home devices. We have an Apple Insider daily podcast where you can catch up on the news every day. And if you ever want to tweet at myself and or Jason, again, those links are in the show notes, and you can email us there as well. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.